1: well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business, and we're friends like my friend, Dr. Judy Jacek. Don't let friends feed kibble. Good morning. Good Wednesday morning from Tennessee. Good morning, and here in Tennessee, and not feeling feeding kibble. There you go. <laughs> not even to those cats that are out there, you know, doing their hunting, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we watched our cats eat a, I think it was a bunny, we it was based on the size. I'm pretty sure it was like a small, like juvenile bunny that, that they had, but yeah, it was a national geographic moment, you know, watching them pull the guts out and all that stuff. But you know, that's what, that's what cats do. They were, they're just doing, doing their cat thing. And, um, we want them to hunt, Yeah, you know, like we want them to keep the rodents, rodents down. That's one of the reason, reasons to have cats around. And it's, it's a win-win because they love to do it. I watch them hunt. They're just hilarious because they're like, They'll like chase a moth and they'll jump like five feet up in the air and try to grab moths and stuff. And their cats are quite entertaining; (laughs) they
1: really are. They are. But I want to ask you because they were hunting their own food outside, they didn't die, right? There was no like they didn't go flopping on the ground and just die.
0: (laughs) Uh, So far, no. And this was two
1: days two days ago.
0: So, um, and they actually showed up for about like. God, they're not going to want to eat breakfast the next morning. No, they were here now. And I, I have them well spoiled. They do get their raw food twice a day. But I'm glad to see they're actually still out hunting, though. I'm not feeding them so much that they don't feel the need to go to go hunt. I think it's that predatory. They just like they see something move. Like I put a we have a little table on our deck and and I put a, a tablecloth over it, you know, and it was going to use it for like we're out there grilling, you know, you can put stuff on it. Well, the cats have that tablecloth because it blows in the wind and they chase the ends and then they pulled it off and then they wrap themselves in it. It's like all shredded to pieces now. Um, anything that moves is is uh, is fair game, including my feet. I go out there and do like stretches and stuff. I got on her deck and oh yeah, they chase the toes and the pajama legs, <laughs> everything.
1: <laughs> they love you. They're like, we love her. Ah. Uh, <laughs> You know what? I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and I said this on on my podcast last night, but the recall, the recall history of raw versus kibble, Dr. Jasek. And I got this off of Susan Thixton's site. And I had done this, um, put this information out when I was in the pet summits before. And um, I wanted to just reiterate this, that According to the FDA, okay, uh, more than 66 million pounds of kibble pet foods, kibble pet foods were recalled in 2021, and the leading cause of these recalls was aflatoxin contamination. So, in 2021, Doctor Jasic, kibble pet foods were 98 percent of all pet foods recalled for pathogenic bacteria. So that is um 59% almost 60% of all pet food sales in 2021 is in the kibble industry. So um 99% of all recalls in 2021 mm-hmm. came out of the kibble industry. So I put this out there last uh, or yesterday because I wanted pet parents to be able to talk to their vets and say, "Hey, um, I see you want me to feed prescription diets and listeners prescription diets are kibble. Okay. They're just kibble. And it, there's nothing prescription about it, it's a, it's a brand name sort of like, uh, you know, origin or something like that. But um, you might want to let them know that 99% of everything that got recalled was kibble. And when you compare that Dr. Jasek with raw, The raw percentage of market compared to recalls is 0.02%. That's how Mm. much of raw dog food was recalled in 2021. So you tell me, Dr. Jacek, where's the logic in that? That you can't feed your dogs raw, you got to feed them prescription.
0: You know what's interesting too about those recalls? I know when I was, you know, had, had my like on-site clinic and, and was more, a little more plugged into all the different recalls from the like prescription diet companies and stuff like that. It's like one of those recalls can come up and they'll give you a lot number and, you know, they'll, they'll take their, they'll take their food back, take it back. I'd have clients say, Oh, I got this bag of food, blah, 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 whatever. And then they'll send it back. The company, you know, stands behind it. But then life goes on. I mean, most people would just go buy a bag of the same food from the same company, just a different lot number. But with raw, why is it that if raw gets recalled, all raw feeding is bad and it's bacteria laden and it's laden and it's killing pets like why they don't make that you know, generalization, you know, that, oh, but the raw recall, all raw is bad. Kibble recall, but just those few bags are bad. The industry is fine. Like, wh- why is it, why does that, you know, why, why does, why does that happen? It's like, you know, gun control, hope I don't get myself in trouble bringing this one up, but <laughs> you know, people get killed by guns. Is all, all the guns are bad. All the guns need to get taken away. But if somebody gets hit by, you know, uh, a pedestrian gets hit by a car. Well, they don't say all oh, the cars are bad. You know, that person was bad. Maybe that person was on, you know, drinking or on drugs or something. You know, maybe they, they look at the driver, they don't look at the vehicle. But then, you know, it, but with these recalls, they just they just condemn the whole industry. I, I understand the difference uh, in that mindset
1: people say well this raw made my dog sick well i always have to say is it the raw or is it the things that you're putting into the raw because people love to add a bunch of stuff to their dog food they just love it right mm-hmm. so i had someone ask me the other day um how do you transition and i say just you know cut the kibble and go and their their response was well that's a bit harsh so i'm going to just continue to add the kibble And I I said, well, here's the thing. That's fine. You can continue to add the kibble, but understand that if you have any problems, any gastrointestinal problems, it's very much like you starting the paleo diet, but continuing to eat donuts and cookies every day as well. So, right.
0: Right. That's what I tell people too. I said, well, you know, you, you can like, or I got the bag of, the bag of kibble, um, has a little Yorkie and, um, you know, the dog was having like behavioral issues. And I just talked about the importance, you know, getting on a fresh food diet, this is going to help. It's, it's not, might not eliminate the anxiety completely, but it will help. And so we started some herbs and did some things and hear from her a few weeks later and, and nothing was helping like, well, did you change diet? Well, no, I paid $60 for this bag of food. I got to finish it up, you know? (laughs) so but my point is if the kibble is part of the problem even a little bit is is going to still be a problem and yeah you might give your dog a little diarrhea doing a cold turkey transition because the body has to get used to it it does you know it's a different way of digesting it's a different type of food so the body has to adapt to that and will sometimes go through a detox but if the kibble is part of the problem if you don't get rid of the problem or, you know, the cause of the problem, you're still going to have the problem. You know, like you got to get rid of it. And even a little bit, if the dog, if that kibble's inflammatory, even feeding a little bit or giving a little bit for, um, hoppers, I, I hear that a lot from it, And I don't understand where this comes from. I just don't understand people. I really don't like, like, well, that raw food, it just doesn't seem like enough. Like, what do you mean? Not. Enough. Like you got to add kibble to the raw because the raw isn't enough. <laughs> it's their natural food. What what is is not enough about feeding? And I hear that a lot. Like I, I don't know where that mentality comes from either. I think maybe because dogs just eat it so fast and then it's done, and they're like, "Well, that doesn't look like very much fun." Their food's gone in ten seconds. But that's the way dogs are meant to eat. So I I don't know why people don't think raw is enough. But I think it's plenty enough.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you you deal with a lot of cancer. Um, And uh, look, guys, if we have cancer in our dogs or we want to prevent cancer, sugar is not the way to go. Right. And I was uh, Dr. uh, Ian Billinghurst, you know, he also um, wrote a book called pointing the bone at cancer that I think that's his newest book, hmm. but, but, uh, cause you know, his first book is give your dog a bone. So he's continuing mm-hmm. on with the bone, with the catch, bone catch, theme, catchy
0: title, catchy, catchy, title. catchy. Yeah.
1: but you know, he was talking about nutrition, right. And nutrition when your dog has cancer. Now you got to say, what is causing cancer in the first place? Um, It's not just the food. Obviously, everybody that listens to the podcast know that we talk about all of these other toxins that are going into your dog. But he said, look, when 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 you when your dog has cancer, you're on your own when it comes to nutrition, he said, because if you ask an oncologist about nutrition, the answer will almost always be ill-informed and in general be in your dog's worst interest. And he said, why? Because they don't have any training when it comes to the relationship between nutrition and cancer and any training that they do have is that nutrition has no bearing on the cause of cancer or the cause of disease. And he said, typically they are going to recommend a program of nutrition based on soluble carbohydrates, which is what? Sugar. And he says, this sugar-based program is the surefire way to encourage cancer growth and metastasis. Mm-hmm. So it's all backwards, Dr. Jacek. And yet this backwards narrative is very difficult to turn around. No matter what you and I say, it is so difficult to turn around and the heartbreak is it is so um terrible in our pet parents my my cousin in new york little yorkie nine years old he just died um Mm. but she had you know i think i talked to you about it um but this she thought now this was their first dog okay in their adult life did everything that their vet told them so every single year, this Yorkie got the rabies. Every single year, he got the flea and tick and the heartwormer every month. And he was on prescription diets. He also did the greenies and the milk bones and everything. Well, then, you know, they find out he's got a, a mass in the liver. And yeah, they did put him on raw for a while. But then he started getting fluid on the, uh, the you know, around the heart. Uh, but anyway, he did succumb. And you there, there's a point that there is of no, uh, there's a time of no return, right? No matter, even if you put mm-hmm. the dog on raw, but you know, for these little guys, Dr. Jacek, we've talked about this before. They get the same dose as the, the great Danes. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's so tough. And I know that you are seeing more and more cancer. You're starting to see thymona. Is that what it's I, called? Thymona? Th- thymomas.
0: I've seen like Two it two new clients in the last probably two weeks, and this is something like I I maybe seen maybe one of these. It's extremely rare, and it's even rare to the oncologist because both of these people had also gone in for a, a oncology consults, and the oncologist I could just I, I could tell from the records like like. More common cancers, your osteosarcoma or, you know, uh, lymphomas, mass like they, there's certain protocols like, okay, this is what we got. This is what we do. Bing, bing, bing. You know, this is the standardized protocol on the conventional side for these thymoma cases that you can just tell they're just scratching their heads. Like, yeah, we don't know what to do here. Yeah. and, And it's because they're rare. Like- nobody has experience treating these. And for me to have two new clients in two weeks, okay, maybe that could just be a weird fluke, but I don't think so. I suspect I'm going to start to, to see more. And, and these are very serious. So the thymus is actually part of the immune system. It, it creates some of the um, foundational cells for the immune system, it's very, the thymus is very active in uh, children when you're growing. It's it, like it's generating these immune system cells. Matter of fact, I had heard, um, and I actually knew a lady back in Colorado that had had this done. She said that for a while, they thought these enlarged thymus glands in children were abnormal um, and they were irradiating them. And then these people would, she said, and they grew up to be an adult and it got his autoimmune disease and all this, you have a compromised immune system because they wiped out these basically like the stem cells of, of your immune system. So, so anyway, so these these tumors, so the thymus is kind of in like the upper part of the the chest, the top of the the chest, kind of where the chest is is joining the neck. And on um, these tumors, the two cases I've seen, this got very large very quickly. They put pressure on the heart, they put pressure on the lungs. Um I mean, really aggressive and very tough because of the rapid growth and the, and the location. And uh, both of these pets got, you know, went downhill um, very, very quickly. And I think the one they were trying to decide, is it, is it uh, the thymoma or is it lymphoma? Is it these just enlarged lymph nodes? Is it both? Um, but either way, it's a bad prognosis and it, it's just, cancer is just getting you know, more and more rampant, younger and younger animals, more just severe and bizarre and, and just you know, like rapid, you know, that in people, they talk about, you know, people getting these turbo cancers and this is what it's showing up to be in some pets. And some of them, like you're saying, you're just too far behind the ball. I mean, just, especially to do things holistically where you're, you know, you're working on supporting the body Well, you need a little time for those things to, to work. And if things are just too far advanced, when you say and the body fundamentally is just too toxic, you know, we, we have to stop poisoning the pets with the vaccines, with the poor diets, with the, you know, the other preventatives, the, the flea and tick, um, you know, I, and, and as far as the nutrition goes, I, and I tell people it's, always a good idea. Matter of fact, if you don't, that's still the most important thing I think is the nutritional base, because if you're not providing good nutrition, you don't have a chance of really helping the pet. If you're not giving them proper nutrients for species appropriate nutrients. So a meat-based diet for, um, for a dog. And, And if you're not, if you're not providing them that, um, then the other stuff just you don't really stand much of a chance of any of the other stuff being effective. I I don't think you have to start with that good nutritional foundation. If people are budgeting and they're like, I don't know, this stuff gets expensive, then just do the diet. Like, because if you don't do the diet, you're really wasting your money on the other stuff because there's just no way uh it's it's gonna be effective. You have to start with the nutrition.
1: Yeah. You do. And then if your dog does come down with cancer, okay, um, you and I have talked about this before and Dr. Billinghurst also reiterates this. You got to ask some really tough questions, right? And so some of the questions that you want to ask is, will the treatment, will the treatment that your oncologist is proposing actually lengthen your dog's life? I mean- Will it lengthen your dog's life or is the treatment likely to result in remission, in complete remission? Will the treatment cause side effects? You know, what are those side effects going to be? How dangerous is um, the actual treatment? Could the treatment actually shorten your dog's life or even kill your dog? I mean, there's a lot of questions to ask. And again, I reiterated this to my neighbor and we talked about this on the podcast. Do you know the one who was limping and, uh, mm-hmm. the calcium was, uh, in the blood work. Remember that one that we talked about? Oh, I know we talked mm-hmm. about it all. but she was doing fresh pet. Okay. And with that particular dog and she said, the dog stopped eating the fresh pet and went only eat the real raw from us. And then she came by the other day and she said, now I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that it's the raw totally, but she is on the mend. I mean, she's doing great. She's doing so much better. She has so much energy. She can walk further and that sort of thing. Um, But, again, I asked her cause she said, well, I think I'm going to go do more tests to see if she has cancer. And I said, well, what will you do if she has cancer? Well, nothing. I mean, so why are we doing the test? You know, why is it just to know? Because if you are going to clean up the diet, if you're going to take out all the toxic stuff, and you're not going to actually treat the cancer with chemotherapy or things like that, then aren't you already doing everything that you can do? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, You could still add some turkey tail. You could still add herbs as those are not going to be um, harmful in any way. So again, I guess for me, maybe we're just curious beings and we want to know, but, it's sort of like, all right, if you know your dog has cancer, um do you act differently? Do you have a different energy that your dog picks up on, or can you just be doing the things that you need to do to clean the body up as well as you can and then have that time with your dog as calmly and as happily as you can? I don't yeah. know and look at the dog too, you know if the dog's doing well, you know the dog
0: you know was limping and not doing well and had cancer, you know, but if, you know, if the dog, if, if the, I mean, if the dog is doing well, if you change the diet and the dog is, is now doing well and is a happy dog, then yeah. Why why do you need to do something different? You know, if the dog is showing signs that, yeah, maybe it needs some more support then there are other things you can move into. And there's a lot of natural things you could move into too. You don't have to do like conventional therapies. But um, I think cancer is just such a scary thing and people worry about it. They hear about it. And people on so many like Facebook groups where people talk about all their pet. oh, my dog started limping and then ended up with bone cancer. And so people worry about that. So what do they worry more about if their pet, if they find out that their pet has it, or if they worry about if, if you know, their pet, they don't know if their pet has it or not. They worry about maybe their pet does have it, you know? Maybe people just need to worry, not, not worry so much. I don't. Know.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, but it, again, to me, the mindset is just clean up the diet because I don't, I don't think that there's any traditional protocols that would help my dog if she had cancer. I just don't, I don't, I don't see any traditional things. Um, Now I know that Stephanie Hunter, who has the great Dane, who keeps us um, updated, they did one round of chemotherapy and the dog went into remission and she immediately changed diet. She does great herbs and she does all types of stuff. And the dog doesn't have any cancer at this point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's some question of whether you would do one treatment. I don't know. I don't know. But
0: then, but then, but then I asked the question so did that actually help the dog or did the dog just get better in spite of the treatment because of all the other stuff she was doing you know and she just didn't poison the dog long enough with more chemo where you had the you know the side effects i mean we don't know the answer in in that scenario but we also you know we don't know like did the dog get better because of that chemo treatment or it got better in spite of it because of all the other good things that she did
1: right and dr billinghurst says this he says you know these uh, toxic treatments, right? These poisons, and and that is what chemotherapy is. He said they do give the appearance of success. Um, he said, but they almost inevitably um, will cause cancer to return. And he said, and and, and mostly it happens in a matter of months. Uh, and he said, and when it does, they are more aggressive. They're more malignant. And they're most often less responsive to chemotherapy. So I don't know why that is. I don't know whether it's that it's killing off white blood cells. So it gives the cancer more uh, ability to take hold. Or if there's something that we're not seeing or not knowing that gives them more strength in that chemotherapy. It's weird. What do you think it is? More likely that it's just killing off the stuff to help the body be successful?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it's just poisoning the body and then the body. So you get a, a temporary effect. And then it's like the attitude in conventional oncology is like, well, you know, say, you know, whatever they're treating tumor shrunk down or if it's lymphoma, the lymph nodes go down in size. And, and I've heard them declare, I've had clients tell me, oh, well, you know, my dog is, is now in remission. Like, great. So then from the oncology perspective, they've done their job. They've had a success. So when they give you this, people you'd be really careful with statistics because they will consider that a successful treatment. They consider the dog in remission because the lymph nodes have shrunk to a certain level or the tumors down to a certain size or whatever they're measuring. But then they're they're not they're not, they don't take that into account when, when it comes back. And it always does. I mean, I would say any case of a dog treated, you know, with, with like ongoing chemotherapy, where it's the chemotherapies supposedly the thing that helps the pet. And if people aren't doing other things to support the body, it always comes back and it does come back with a vengeance. And I think it is because you wiped out the body's natural defenses. You know, the, you just, you don't have a strong immune system and the body's so busy trying to detox from all these chemicals that you put into it that it, it doesn't have anything to to fight the cancer with and so yeah it does even even after surgeries i say this so many times um tumors are removed even if they supposedly get clean margins which means they get all the cancer cells regrowth rate is really high. And when tumors regrow, they just, they regrow with a vengeance. And I think part of that is because you've disrupted all the natural circulation in the area. And so the body's defenses can't even get in there and removing lymph nodes. I think that's especially bad because lymph nodes need to drain the area. They help detoxify the area of the body where they're in and um, if you remove those, and then the cancer comes back. I mean, even if you're doing treatments, you don't have the circulate circulation to get into the area to really even even help. So, yeah, the 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 you know after effects of those treatments, I I find are just really really horrific.
1: Yeah, when you when you guys look at what are toxins, right? What are the toxins that your dogs? and your cats are exposed to in their life, right? Um, vaccines, dewormers, medications, uh, processed foods, pesticides, herbicides, um, heavy metals, those type of things. And one of the ways that you can help your dog is number one, not put these things in their body. The other thing that that you can do, Dr. Jasek, is, and we've talked about it, fast. Fast your dogs. You know, your dog's immune system will thank you for it. Now, again, you've got to stop putting this stuff in them. I mean, if you're going to put this stuff in them, forget the fasting. I don't know that it's actually going to help. Do you think so, Dr. Jaysing? The
0: the effect will be minimized for sure.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when you look at how um, a a dog's 80% of their immunity is coming from their gut. Right. So we've got to be able to detox, get this stuff out, even if you're very careful and you don't put these chemical toxins in the body, but you can do these fasting and regular fasting that Dr. Uh, Billinghurst even talks about that in a dog that has cancer. Now you treat a lot of dogs with cancer. Would you suggest fasting for I- these
0: dogs? I mean, I do think fasting has, has benefits. Um, I mean, honestly, sometimes it's hard enough to just get them on a decent diet. (laughs) So I don't like, I mean, people that are already feeding raw, um, and, and are on board with the nutritional thing. I think that can be another level. Um, like I said, usually it's so challenging just to get pets on a fresh food diet that, um, you know, I just, I'm happy if I have success there. Uh, but I think as another layer on top of that, fasting is good. You know, it, it gives the body a break. It, and I think the carnivore metabolism um, is is designed to fast or it, it can handle it very well because they're designed to eat a big meal of food and then they might not eat for a day or two. You know, they kill an animal and they eat and then they might not eat for for a couple of days. Their systems are designed to handle that and i think when we're constantly like you know it's just human nature you love to give your dog treats and when they're getting all kinds of treats throughout the day and especially if they're sugar well then yeah they you're just putting them on a on a blood sugar roller coaster and they're getting things that that aren't good for them, you're keeping that uh, the blood sugar up high. When you get fast, you actually drop the blood sugar. It gets the body into more of a, a ketogenic state, starts to um, burn ketones, tra- trains the body to to burn fat instead of sugar and just gives it a break. You know, the in the intestines are like, you know, it's like a big muscle. And, you know, like say you go work out and you work out really hard at the gym and your muscles are a little sore. Well, what do you do? You rest them for a day. Well, the gut doesn't get a chance to eat or doesn't get a chance to rest if the animals, you know, continue eating a couple of meals a day. So it gives it a chance to rest, regenerate, heal. And then the gut, um, I think is, is healthier. I had a, a client that I worked with for years, her, her kitty had, had cancer and we treated it for, gosh, I think three or so years. And, uh, she would, they, the whole household would fast like one, once a month, they do a 30 hour fast. And she said, well, I just, I couldn't fast, you know, my pets, if I was eating and then vice versa, if I was gonna, you know, fast, and then I had to prepare food for my, for my pets. She says, it just didn't feel right. She said, I just, the whole house just would fast for, you know, 30 hours. And, you know, it's, it's not really that bad. It's not really, you know, that, that long. Um. And so she said they, you know, they just would get, everybody would uh, help support everyone through it and they do that 30 hour fast. So yeah, I think there, I think there can be additional, uh, additional benefit. And for a dog, I mean, dogs are only only eating once or twice a day, even if you just skip one meal that you got a 24. So you're feeding your dog twice a day, you skip breakfast or skip dinner once and they've got a 24 hour fast. I mean, they're only missing one meal. You just get a lot of, get a lot of sad eyes looking at you, but.
1: (laughs) Right. And they're talking about, look, fast your dog for a day every week or so. And they, and and they said that that can yield tremendous health benefits in your dog. But I wanted to, I wanted to kind of explain to some of our pet parents about when you kill off these white blood cells, Dr. Jasek, I mean, we are really causing problems in our body because neutrophils. Okay. Those are a white blood cell and their job is to swallow bacteria and other microorganisms. So they're the first responders when your dog gets a bacterial infection, they are the ones that arrive on the scene and clean up the scene. And then there's Mm -hmm. monocytes, you know, another white blood cell and they consume infectious agents and other large particles, Um, They come where there's, you know, inflamed tissue or chronic infections. And then you've got your natural killer cells, right? And um, they are in the immune system and they penetrate abnormal cells and um, they clean up, you know, toxic stuff in the body too. So if you're killing all of these different white blood cells, how in the world does a human... Heal, or a pet heal, and I wanted to ask you about this because you've dealt with cancer in humans and in pets. Can you really give a shot, Doctor Jasek, that will bring the white blood cells back after you've killed them off with chemo? Because they do this in humans.
0: Yeah, I I have no idea what that would be. I mean. It, to me, it sounds to me, I'm so cynical of, of pharma these days. It sounds like just an excuse to sell another drug because because with with chemo, so what what cancer treatments tend to do is they tend to affect rapidly dividing cells because that's what cancer cells are. So they are rapidly dividing very metabolically active cells. So these would be like the toughest cells to kill, right? Well, if you're giving drugs that are going to kill the toughest cells to kill, what do you think they're doing to the rest of the cells in the body? You know, it's not that targeted. I mean, they say the chemotherapy drugs, they target the rapidly dividing cells. And since cancer cells are more rapidly dividing than the other cells, they're going to go after them first. But then the other cells, like your your bone marrow stem cells, this is why we see drops in white blood cell counts and red blood cell counts because in the bone marrow where all these stem cells are that are the rapidly dividing cells that replenish the blood, those tend to be more affected. That's why the, the white blood cell goes down. So if you've wiped out the, like these stem cells, the, the cells that naturally produce the, the, the white blood cells, I can't even imagine what you could give the body that's drug wise, that's just going to magically make those regenerate. I, I have no idea how that would be possible. Now supporting the body in other ways with nutrition and herbs and things that, you know, we've talked about for general health, that might help that process happen faster. But in my experience, I, I mean, it just takes time. And I can't imagine that there's a pharmaceutical drug that can make that process happen faster and have actually healthy cells. I, I just, I can't, I, I don't know about the drug, but um, I would really question that.
1: Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. It, you know, to me, it's like you're killing off the things that are trying to help you. And then, okay, we're going to kill those off so we can kill the dividing cells, but then we're leaving your body defenseless. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. And then they do nothing to support the body in any other way. I mean, oncologists say, you know, nutrition doesn't matter. I I talk to clients, they say, well, I asked the oncologist that I saw about diet and they said, yeah, just feed whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's their philosophy about nutrition. So how backwards is that? I mean, how can nutrition not matter? You know, what you're putting in the body is, is being, you know, um, incorporated into all the cells in the body, but it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy, but that's, because their focus is solely on fighting the cancer. I think it it comes down to how you look at cancer and what your treatment approach is. My approach is I get the body as healthy as possible, and then we see if we can manage it. Maybe we can't make cancer go away completely, but can we make it something the pet can live with and still preserve quality of life? In a lot of cases, that's doable. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, that's doable, but you have to be supporting the the body in that. Like for me, like, I don't even need to know, like, you know, you were saying before about, you know, getting cancer diagnosed. I don't need to know what type of cancer it is. Um, it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, I think I find that the more you poke needles into things and cut pieces out of tumors for biopsies or remove tumors ends up just inflaming the whole situation more. And if you just focus on supporting the body, regardless of the type of cancer or what type of tumor you're seeing growing, you're going to have way better results.
1: So let me ask you this. When a dog stops eating, okay, there's a reason that they stop eating, right? They don't feel good. Something's, Something's going on. But what I hear is, the traditional veterinarians will give an appetite an mm. appetite stimulant to these type of dogs. Do you think that that's a good idea?
0: I I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, like you said, there's got to be a reason why the dog isn't eating. So, are they feeling nauseous? Is is you know, are they on drugs that are irritating the stomach? A lot of cancer patients, if they're not on chemo. A lot of times they're on prednisone or they've been on lots of antibiotics and their guts just inflamed. So, you know, we need to look at why aren't they eating in the first place? Because, you know, dogs are typically crazy about their food. I mean, they, you know, they, they love to eat. Dogs should love to eat. They should just always be tearing into their food bowls. And if they're not, there's a reason for it. So yeah, an appetite stimulant, like, well, you're not treating anything. I don't, I don't actually find that they, that they work in most cases. For that very reason, they're not if the stomach's upset and they're nauseous, well just making them feel like they want to eat so then they'll eat and then they'll just, you know, kind of feel miserable afterwards. So no, I I don't like the appetite. I mean, why give that? It's 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 not treating anything. So maybe you get the dog to eat a few bites of food or something and then they feel miserable afterwards and they remember eating and not feeling good afterwards. So No, I I don't like those at all. Even the, even the antiemetics, like there's a Serenia that is given very commonly to help reduce nauseousness. Now, you know, if a dog's really vomiting a lot just to tone tone that down and keep them a little more comfortable, sure, but, but not as a primary treatment. I mean, I see it all the time, you know, dogs go in with GI stuff and they're sent home with an appetite stimulant, Serenia and metronidazole. (laughs) <laughs> the, like, triple, triple, the, the Bermuda triangle <laughs> treatment. Yeah. How would the you body know, even that,
1: know what the hell to do with that? I know you're
0: just, you're stimulating the appetite and you're suppressing the nauseousness and um, and then throwing in some antibiotics just for good measure. Cause the vet doesn't know what the heck's going on. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's, and that's what happens, but you're, what do you, you're not treating anything. And then you're hammering the gut with more antibiotics. So you know, that those, those types of treatment protocols don't make any sense at all to me. And I mean, I do think in cancer patients, I think appetite is a really important thing to monitor because it is a pretty universal sign of, you know, when things are getting end stage. Now I don't mean like a dog misses a meal or two dogs, you know, can miss a meal or two. And sometimes they just do a self fast because they don't feel good and they know their body needs a break. So they don't eat for a day. Um, But when they just completely lose interest day after day after day, to me, that's, that's a sign. And we know, we know, we need to know what, you know, what else is going on. And that might be a time to do blood work or something, just to make sure that there's not more to the, to the picture. But um, that can be a sign of, of, of downturn. And, you know, sometimes that's a sign of end stage. And I think we need to, we need to honor that too. Like, if the dog's body is done sometimes their body's done you know and i think we just have to respect that and honor that and um you know i i take the approach of letting nature run its course rather than trying to artificially you know uh, prop things up if we can get to the root cause and help and help the dog to to heal then then that's different but if we're just propping things up with pharmaceuticals. I, I, I can't get on board with that because every drug is, is, has toxicity. Every pharmaceutical is going to have some toxicity because it's not natural in the body. You're just putting a chemical in the body that isn't naturally there and shouldn't naturally be taking it. So you're, you're just giving the body more to detox. So you take a dog that's maybe had chemo and had, a, you know, other stuff going on and, And now you're just poisoning the body more trying to get him to eat. Like it, it makes no sense to me whatsoever.
1: You know, cancer is so, is so strange because what you said, right, that they're trying to survive. So it's, it's a survival mechanism. What is it about cancer that kills us specifically? I mean, what is it? Is it, is it like, it's a toxin. Is it that it destroys the things that keep us alive? What is it about cancer that kills us?
0: Yeah. It's, in, it's, it's like, it destroys the normal function of, of the body, you know, literally we'll take over body tissues. I mean, it, you know, as we see this, like if, if we have spread to the lungs, say, say you have a, you know, bone cancer, well, you know, a dog, Could live with a tumor in its bone. Now, pain is is an option. Sometimes euthanasia is chosen for some types of cancer because they're just so painful and we can't control the pain. Um, And and those dogs, their quality of life is just is just so poor. So you might choose euthanasia in a case like that. But say you had metastasis to to the lungs, the cancer, like if you look at radiographs of X rays of the chest, it like literally just takes over. The normal lung tissue and the, and the pet can't breathe. Um, in the case of the heart, um, you can get these heart-based tumors where again, the, the heart, it, it, um, causes fluid. The tumor itself is like irritating to the tissue causes fluid to build up around the heart. And then the heart can't function as well. Can't pump efficiently. Can't do what it, it, um, it needs to do. So, yeah, I think, I think fundamentally it's, it just takes over, the, the normal tissue. And then sometimes it can be the, the position in the body. So say a, a bladder tumor, bladder tumors rarely metastasize. They usually don't get very big, but if they block the ability to pee, well, that's, that's the end. I mean, dogs and cats have to pee. So if they can't urinate, then that's, um, then that's a problem, or things like anal gland tumors. They, you know, get so uncomfortable and the dogs have a problem pooping. So really, it's either taking over body tissues or blocking a vital, you know, bodily function.
1: Wow. You know, uh, Dr. Billinghurst was talking about a, a study that they have done that shows that chemotherapy is only, you know, effective at about 2%. I mean, this is what he was really talking about. And he said, so they did come back. And this was in 2004, 16, uh, what is that? How many years ago now? Um, uh, But almost 20, year, 20 years ago now. But he said it's still important because in that study, they said, look, th- they do need to do more research on, the use of chemotherapy. He said, but to date, there's no research being done on it. Mm -hmm. And you got to wonder why you've got to help your pet be as healthy as they can and stop force feeding them. Cause that's really what we're doing. Dr. JC. I mean, I have to say it like that. It's it's like, they don't have any other thing to eat.
0: They don't have any, they don't have a, they don't have a choice.
1: And I hear that
0: a lot from people like that like, oh, my dog just kind of lost interest in the kibble. And then we switched to raw and they're like, oh my God, my dog actually loves to eat now. Like, yeah, because you're feeding them crap. You know, I'll, I'll, I, I can honestly say that probably, probably like 98% of the cancer patients I see are eating kibble. But, you know, you mentioned that, yeah, dogs eating raw do sometimes get kibble. I see those cases, but it is, extremely rare. And I'm sure there's other toxins in the, um, in the environment that's contributing to it. But by far, I mean, I, cause I have this nutrition conversation with just about every new cancer patient and um, you know, and if the dogs are eating raw and they still get cancer, we have a way better chance of helping them because they are not as toxic, you know, a typical cancer patient I might work with is say eight to 10 years old, been on kibble. Like now people are like a lot of times are trying new diets. So I talk to them, they're off of the kibble, but they've only been off of the kibble for a month or two because they've got this cancer thing going on. Now people are worried. Now they're motivated to make some changes. So they've been trying some different things, but typically kibble fed, um, vaccinated, just most everybody I talk to, they've, you know, kept their pets current on all the recommended vaccines. So they're just so toxic. And I do sometimes, you know, talk to people whose dog, you know, they've been raw fed, maybe haven't done as many vaccines. It's, you know, sad those people are frustrated because, well, I've done all this good stuff, my dog still gets cancer. But because they've done all that stuff, I think that puts us in a much better position. to to help that pet. So it's not a perfect world, but you're still going to be helping your pet by doing these things that are way healthier for it.
1: Well, and you and I were talking before the podcast and, you know, on those stats that I was giving about the recalls, it shows where we are only, uh, the raw dog food industry is only 4%, about 4% of all of the pet food that is sold out there. Okay. So the question is, why are they obsessed with us? Why do they keep coming after us? Why is there such negative misinformation, misinformation about the raw dog food? And I contend, Dr. Jasek, that it has far more to do with food. It has more to do with most of the people that move over to a raw diet are going to want to see a holistic vet like yourself. And they're wa- mm-hmm. going to want to move away from the toxic soup that is um, prescribed out there. So mm-hmm. it's in direct competition with their biggest money makers. not just the food, but it's the whole way that a dog would live its life, right? And if a dog lives, Dr. Jasek, let's say, you know, even just 10 years, They know what the numbers are. A a, a customer for 10 years is going to earn us this much money, right? Now you start taking that away from them. You start saying, okay, all of these dogs that are getting on raw are starting to want to look at and live a holistic life. That's where I think they are most concentrated because if you look at, how many of the the independent clinics have turned into corporate clinics and what that means to become a corporate clinic is, you know, you can look at your Banfields, your VRCs, all of these companies that come in and now, you know, they, they've got shareholders, they've got, you know, profit margins uh, that they want to meet. Yeah, that's, that's a big hit to their bottom line. So it's not just food, it's what the holistic lifestyle takes away from their bottom line.
0: Right. Plus the pets are healthy. They don't have to go in as often, you know, right. like what, why do we, why would we want to make our customers healthy? They won't come in They They won't have itchy skin and, and loose poops and, you know, be getting tumors and stuff for us to treat because, you know, where are our, our customers are going to go away if we just let them be healthy. We can't have that. You know, I, I think that's, I think that really is, um, part, part of the agenda and I think it's interesting because I don't think they'd be you know they must feel at least somewhat threatened by this. Like you said it's just a small percentage. So if it really wasn't affecting their bottom line, why do they care? But I think they see enough of a trend going this direction that they're they're nervous about it. They they want to they want to nip it in the bud. They don't want it to continue on.
1: Well, my biggest hope, my biggest prayer, my biggest hope is that Because of what the FDA has done in the last three years on the human side, not that they've just done it in the last three years, but that we have been privy to see, Mm -hmm. right, that we can see right now, that there will be a regime that will change it, whoever that is, that will come in and totally change this very uh, corrupt agency. Right, we know it's corrupt. If they allow dyes, they allow cancerous aflatoxins, mycotoxins. If they allow contaminated substances in our food and the dogs' food, and they hide information, I mean, seriously, why why are they around? I mean, they're very very powerful. And mm-hmm. uh, but my hope is that if the if that agency is restructured. Because the dog food world is governed by the FDA, not the USDA. The USDA does deal in you know the human side of food, but pet food is under the FDA. And um, I just, I just hope that for all of our sakes that it gets restructured or booted. <laughs> what are the two?
0: Yeah. I think we're going to need a new system. I don't think this I, the current system. You know the the you know attraction of the money and the power is just too great for for most people to to let go of, and I think we have to create a new system, and we need people to move that direction. that's why we need people we need pet parents that are gonna say no i'm not I'm not doing it this way, I'm not treating my pet this way. I'm not gonna you know fold to all these vaccine recommendations. It's the pet parents that really will make the difference by voting with their dollars,
1: yeah, yeah and and we're going to keep talking about it and uh you're going to keep doing what you do you can work with dr jasek all you have to do is go over to a h a vet.com a h a vet.com um if you have a cancer diagnosis i think it's well worth your time to talk to dr jasek because you will be confused you will be confused there's just i don't talk to any pet parents that don't get totally confused and um, their brain gets all scattered when they get that cancer diagnosis with, with their pets. And I think if you have somebody that's been doing this for a long time who also has seen both sides from the traditional and the holistic side, then you can get a better perspective. You can listen to the alternatives. But if you just go down one path, you know, you're going to get one one, uh, solution, really. And that's a solution that we always hear all the time. So I think it's well worth your time to get in touch with Dr. JC, get signed up, get a consultation, get a Zoom. Uh, She can review records. There's all types of things that she can do, even if she lives in Tennessee and Uh you live in uh, Timbuktu, okay? (laughs) And be a little wary of Dr. Facebook, just saying. A doctor Facebook. I like it. Yes. These people are like, I went to this Facebook group and I'm like, yeah, who's in there. Don't, don't make your medical
0: decisions based on one person's experience because maybe somebody did have an experience and they tried something and it worked really great for their pet, but every pet is an individual and different circumstances are different. So just, you know, be, be, be really careful about, you know, what information is out there. And plus with something like Facebook, I think information is planted out there too. I mean there's like fake people out there, bots no. or whatever you know saying oh yeah go go get oh no you you got lymphoma better go get chemo you know I mean there's there's a lot of um fake information you know out there too so just just be careful you're being
1: marketed to on on Facebook too to to a certain degree Absolutely. But get over to ahavet.com. Get signed up with Dr. Judy Jasek, and get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. Diet is most important. Please get your dog off a of kibble uh, if there's nothing really good about kibble, if you want to clean their teeth, give them bones. Okay. Not greenies, not dental chews, not kibble. It is called real bone. Your dogs will survive. Dr. Jasek has an article on our website about bones. So don't be afraid of that. Get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, Dr. Jasek. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble, and where your pet's health is our business. Just now. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.